as we've been talking about essential church for the last several weeks, we've, we've, we've regathered again. Uh, we were not able to meet for, for some time with, with uh, COVID shutdowns. We, we restarted church ministry. And as we've done that, we've been careful. We're still in the midst of restarting different ministries. And as we do that, we're carefully considering what should we restart? How should we do that? It's, it's easy, whether in your own lives or as a church family together, it's easy to be very busy about many things, right? To have a lot of different stuff going on. And yet, there are certain things that are more important. It's kind of like when Jesus said to Martha. Do you remember that story? Where Martha is very busy and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are busy about many things. But only one thing is needful. There's, there's one thing that's most important, and that is knowing and following Jesus. That's what he was telling her then, and that remains true for us. And so, in the midst of many busy things, for us, the purpose of our, of, of our church together is to equip the saints, to equip each one in the body for the ministry of building up the body to know and follow Jesus, to carry out our mission together of going to others around us, of bringing others in, of helping others to become followers of Jesus. And so we seek to do the things that matter most in building one another up. And we said there's some key ingredients in that. We've said that some of those key ingredients are biblical truth, walking in it, obedient living, there, in those two is how we are knowing Jesus and then Christ-like serving in that obedience is going to be where we are following him. So if we're going to know and follow Jesus, those are some essentials. Those are things most needful, to borrow Jesus' words, that we can't let many other good things crowd out. Well, how do we, how do we best serve those key essentials? So there's one thing that's evident in the, in the election cycles that we're in the midst of right now is that people around us are, are passionately seeking someone or something to trust and to put their hope in. At the same time, there's, there's confusion, there's frustration about how can we get to the real truth about almost anything, right? That in terms of uh, corruption, virus, what should we do, economics, justice, peace, stability... People desperately want a, a true answer to these things. They don't know, really, where can I find it? Who can I trust? What can we hope in? Well, God's church knows that hope is found in Christ, that, that truth is found in God's Word. And because God's church knows this, the church is more essential than ever, not only to us, but to people around us, for people around us. Church is not only essential for hope, for truth, for people around us, but I said it's also essential for us. That gathering together as church is essential for those who are in God's church. And so in this section of this series, as we talk about essential church, in this section, I want to talk this morning about why do you go to church? But first, if we're going to talk about why you go to church, it seems fair to first begin with, well, why do I go to church? Have you ever wondered, 
why does the pastor go to church? Well, for some of you, the answer might seem kind of obvious. Dude, that's your job. You only work, somebody told me, one day a week. So, I mean, if I was paid to, to come to church, I'd be there every week too. That's, that, that's what some, some of you might be thinking. Okay, well, fair enough. Except, I came to church and I pastored churches. I taught and I even preached on Sundays when it wasn't my job. When I wasn't paid to be the pastor of the church. In fact, there are many, there are, there are elders in our church who, who pastor or shepherd others and who teach and even sometimes will, will preach on a Sunday. It's not their job, but that's a ministry God has given to them. Many of you serve in many different ways, whether it's with children, whether it's leading a study, whether it's, whether it's in, in a small group that you're leading or help hosting, that you do these things not because it's a job, but you do these things because this is a ministry that God has given to you, and it, it's important. It matters. It makes a difference. So, as you give your time and energy in all these different kinds of ways, then, then that pattern of doing that, and it's, you're not paid for it, that's a pattern that goes back in the church all the way to Paul himself. There were times when Paul was financially supported by others in his ministry, kind of like we think of missionaries today. But there are many times when Paul had another job. He held down work with his own hands so that he could provide for himself while he ministered the gospel to others in whatever city he was in at the time. So if that's, if that's um, the model that Paul gives us, then... In answering this question, why does a pastor come to church? I thought it might be good. Let's, let's ask Paul. What would Paul tell us about why he goes to church or wants to go to a church? There's one passage in particular where Paul answers that question. This is why I want to come to church with you. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 11. Romans chapter 1 from verse 11. Paul writing to Christians in Rome, this is a church that he has never visited before. He did, not, he did not personally plant this church, although he knows many of those who were involved in key roles within the church. He knows many people there, but it was founded by other Christians. Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the nations. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, to wise and foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, Paul longed to come to Rome. He wanted to be with this church family. He wanted to preach the gospel to them. Now, when Paul says in verse 15 that he wanted to come and preach the gospel to them, that he longed to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, who was he talking to? Was he saying, I can't wait to get out there into the market and into street ministry in Rome and preach the gospel to people in Rome who haven't yet heard it? Is that what he's saying? No. 
He says to those whom he is writing to, to the church in Rome, to those who are saints in Christ Jesus, he says, I, I, I long to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul wanted to come and preach the gospel to Christians in Rome. Why? Because he didn't think they'd heard it? No. But he certainly didn't think they've heard it enough. And truth be told, none of us have. We haven't heard the gospel enough. We need to be built up and strengthened and reminded in the gospel of Jesus. You and I need to hear the gospel regularly. You could say that we come to church. One of the reasons we gather together Sunday by Sunday is to soak together in the gospel. Why our Lord gave us this ordinance called Lord's Table as an object lesson that would physically, tangibly remind us of what he did for us and why. Because we need to soak regularly in the gospel. Martin Luther said that every morning he needed to preach the gospel to himself. You and I need to soak in. We come together. It's one of the reasons we come together as church is to be reminded of our hope and God's truth because in a fallen world, in the world in which we live, there is much that seems hopeless. And we are inundated, we are surrounded, we are overwhelmed by lies in the environment around us, things that simply aren't true or they're half true. They sound almost true, but they're not. And we need to regularly soak in God's truth and his hope for us in Christ. So, let's back up to verse 11 then and see specifically, though, why does the pastor come to church? Other than for us to soak in the gospel together, there's something particular that Paul wants to do in coming. Did you catch it? In verse 11, he says that a pastor comes to impart a gift to others in speaking God's word to you to impart to you some spiritual gift, he says. That lines up with what we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 a few weeks ago. In verse 12 of Ephesians 4, Paul said that apostles and, 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 and prophets, as well as pastors and teachers, are, are God's gift to the church for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That Paul had something, even though they were saved, that they were growing in their faith, they were a witness in the city, but Paul had something more to tell them. Paul had truth to give them that would strengthen them. And his coming would be a gift from God to them to strengthen them. And yet that's not all. Paul also says that he comes to be encouraged himself in their faith. He links his ministry to them in teaching or preaching to them. He links that with his being encouraged with them. That they would be mutually encouraged by the faith of one another. You probably think about, okay, in the pastor's head, I come to church because I've got something to say to you. I come to church because I need you. That I, I am encouraged by your faith, even as you are encouraged in my faith, and you're encouraged in one another's faith, we are mutually encouraged by the faith of one another, Paul says. When I see you sing with expression and passion, I am encouraged. When I see you pray with someone that you're talking with before or after the service, I am encouraged by your ministry to them. When I see you give of your time and your energy to serve a need of someone else, I give thanks to the Lord. 
This is why any of us come to church, to be a blessing and an encouragement to one another's faith. I come not merely for me, but I come to give something to others and to be encouraged by your faith. How is it? How is it then? If that's true, if we, if we come to church to be encouraged in one another's faith, how do we share that faith? Certainly in the side conversations, the interactions, the personal connecting that happens before and after the service. Come a little early, leave a little late, give margin for that, and hopefully the preacher will stop on time that you'll have it. Because that is important ministry. And, and yet, how do we do that all together? Should we just provide a, a hosting session and we'll put, put a coffee out and just let ministry happen. Well, in church described for us in Colossians chapter 3, we're, we're reminded of how this happened, how gathering as church does encourage one another's faith in Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. I, I actually want to back up one, one verse to verse 15 to get some of the church together as body context. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Colossians 3.16, we, we're told that to let the word of God dwell in us richly, abundantly. That this is a, a one body together ministry. To let it dwell overflowingly in us so that it overflows from us to others around us. The word of God from you is a gift to others. Encouraging others by your faith in Christ. In the preceding verses, the verses that come just before, verses 12 to 14, there's a, there's a call to a Christian life that is very relational. It is very interpersonal. It is very one another. It, it expresses, it lives out, it steps into that in one body together. The exhortations are all plural. It, the, the, the pronouns, the yous in, in, in those sections are plural pronouns. These are actions that we all do together as individuals in a unified whole. Likewise, in verse 16, teaching, singing, psalms, hymn, praying, giving thanks, all describe church and worship together. Worship together is a plurality in unity. It reinforces our experience of being one together in the body of Christ. To connect this back to Paul in Romans 1, it's one of the ways that we one of the ways that we preach the gospel to one another is when we sing. Do you notice the songs that we sing? Do you notice the core content in what we sing? It's not just, that's a fun song, that's a popular song. Uh, the, when, we, 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 when Pastor Evan or when Luke are choosing music, they're choosing lyrics that matter. They're, they're, they're choosing lyrics where we're going to rehearse God's truth together. When we sing together, this is literally one of the few times that the church body together is saying the same thing. We are confessing our faith together. And there are times when not everybody in the room can sing. There are times when you can't sing and you need others around you to sing for you. 
and to remind you of what you know to be true about our God and Savior. Not merely on a, on a teaching cognitive level, but in that emotional, musical level that seems to sink and slip more into our heart. What we sing becomes very important. This is where we are of one heart and one mind together in the gospel. We can also build one another up when the word richly or generously or overflowingly dwelling in us, what God has fed you with, you share with somebody else. We often think about coming to church on Sunday morning, I, I hope you think along these lines, of coming to church on Sunday morning to, to hear something, be strengthened by something that the pastor who's ever sharing God's word that morning is going to be sharing with you. But what if you didn't wait till you got to church to receive from God's word? What if you come to church bringing something from God's word that he has already given you? You come ready bringing that with you that you might share that with somebody else around you. One of my, one of my friends earlier this week made the statement that trees don't grow their own fruit. No, no, that's not what he said. Trees do grow their own fruit. Trees don't eat their own fruit. Now, I'm still chewing on that bone a little bit. I'm still, I'm still uh, trying to figure out that nugget, but, but certainly it means this. That which God has given you and grown within you, he's not given to you for you. He's given that to you for someone else within the body of Christ. If there's one thing that's true about a body, it is that it is made up of many members and that we are not alone and we are not on our own. And it, there's an interdependency there that ought to be there. And it is good that we share what God has given us with one another for the building up of all. Also notice that within this passage there are three motivations or there are three directions of our worship. We think of worship as being directed to God, right? Certainly we come to, together as church and we sing in worship and we're singing in worship and praise to God. But we're spending a lot of time telling God what he's like and what he's done. And that's good. But God knows that. One of the reasons we sing that together is it's not just to God. Certainly our worship is directed to God, singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. But there's also in that verse, a focus toward one another, that we sing and speak truth for the ben benefit of one another, that we encourage and admonish one another. We challenge one another to keep going, to press further in our faith and trust in our Lord, in our obedience in following Jesus. Not only this, but the word to rich, is to richly dwell in us, and there is an authenticity in our singing with thankfulness in our own hearts. So our worship is motivated towards God. It's for one another, and it's within our own hearts. You might say that our worship together is intended to bless God. It's intended to be a blessing to one another and a blessing to our own knowing and following Jesus. One of the young men in our Monday morning group gave an example that someone had showed him some time ago of a fire, how this works. Now, some of you, I've gone backpacking with some of you. Some of you are firebugs. You'll like this one. Imagine a campfire. It's, it's dark now, and the campfire has been up a while, and, it, and now it's settled down a little bit, and there's these glowing red-hot coals, right? 
Well, what happens if you use a stick? Some of you like to poke at fires, right? You use a stick and you take one of those burning red-hot coals and you pull it back. Or maybe there's a, there's a stick which is, its end is in the fire and it's burning and glowing red-hot, but you take the other end of that stick and you pull it back out of the fire. What happens to that coal, the burning end of that stick, once you pull it out of the rest of the fire? What happens? It no longer glows red. It cools down a little bit. Now it's still high. Don't touch it right away because you're going to remember that. It might start smoking a little bit, but it's no longer glowing red hot. Well, what do you need to do? Well, if you put it back into the fire again, then it's going, to, it's going to catch the heat from the others, and it's going to come back red and glow. And the whole fire, in fact, is a little strengthened by that additional coal or branch that you have put back into the midst of it. That's what we need to do with Christians, too. No, not throw them into the fire. The, the Romans did that. It didn't work. But what we need to do with Christians is to gather them together with others so that faith in Jesus is spread and strengthened from one to another. That's why the early church also gathered together. Initially, according to the book of Acts, the early church gathered at the temple, one of the sections called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico, where Jesus also would teach his disciples. And the early church gathered there. There in the temple... With that backdrop of, backdrop of the liturgy and the sacrifices, those object lessons that portrayed God's faithfulness and his forgiveness in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The early church is taught from all the scriptures the things concerning Jesus. And yet along the way, God declared that this church gathered, where they were gathered at the temple or somewhere else, that this church gathered was itself the temple of God. That Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, turn over from Colossians back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. He uses this imagery of building a temple to describe what God is doing in his church. That the church, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. The Apostle Peter says, says something very similar. He says in, in, in chapter 2, verse 5 of 1 Peter, that you yourselves are like living stones being built up in a spiritual house. This privilege, calling and identity that we are as the temple of God, it also has a responsibility. You see, God cares about his temple. God's temple, whether it was that building in Jerusalem or the church gathered today, that that temple matters to God. Paul reminded the Corinthian church of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. It's helpful to know there that the you pronouns in the original are plural, not singular. 
Because elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, the emphasis is on each believer that know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So what you do in your own body matters because you are a temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit of the living God. And yet here the emphasis is on the plurality and unity. Here it's plural pronouns that you together, that you all are the temple singular. You see what Paul's doing here? That as he says in Ephesians that you are being built together, as Peter says that you are living stones being built up. And God is, God is, is, is mindful of his temple. God is passionate. In fact, he is jealous about his temple, jealously guarding or protective of it. How might the temple be harmed? How might the temple be hindered as it is building? A couple of things come to mind. First of all, those living stones that would be built together into the temple, those stones could remain scattered on their own. Scattered stones are just stones or rubble. But gathered together, they become something. And gathered together by God, they become his own temple. For me, that intersects with the fire image. There's something much more dynamic about the gathering together than there is when we are scattered, individual, isolated on our own. We've had a recent taste of that with this whole pandemic, haven't we? In fact, some in the church are still scattered, not yet able to be regathered because of the vulnerabilities that they have, because of the places where they live, uh, certain risk factors. It, it made a difference for you. It... it still is making a difference for people. You, can, you know what it is to feel something like those coals pulled out from among the others and, in a sense, left out in the cold. That's why when we were first told that churches cannot gather, that nobody can gather anywhere and churches can't gather either, when we were first told there, we, we, we begin working and with help from some within the body, we were able to provide online services that very next week. We were able to, to, be, to be including many of you and there was extra work and, 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 and getting video clips back and putting those together, but that mattered. It was important so that you could see one another and be reminded of one another's shared faith in Christ. That's why our church leaders tried to call each church family fairly regularly during that time and make connection, remind one another that we're not alone. The importance of God's family gathered was why we focused on starting small groups and started about 16 different new small groups in the midst of that time before the whole church could gather again, but we could gather in homes. So we began with the church in your home. And those groups are still going. They will continue to be an essential part of our ministry. That's why we sought to regather again as church as soon, as quickly as we would be able to do so. And to live stream still so that those who are not able to gather with us but are able to join us online, that you can gather with us when we are here together. Now, for sure, gathering online, it's not the same as being in person, is it? Those of you that are still not able to gather, still I'm looking to the camera because there are some that are, that are watching, live streaming from home even now while we're here. It's, it still feels a little like being that coal pulled back from the fire. 
The reality is that online church isn't the same as church gathered together, being together. In the same way that Facebook friends are not the same as friends gathered. Now, connecting online, whether it's church or Facebook, it's, it's different, it's better when that connection is with somebody who you do know and somebody who does know you. And it's still not the same as being together. So what do we do with that? Well, when you think of someone, you know someone that's not yet able to return, not able to be gathered together. Something still causes them to still not be able to join with us. When you think of that person, connect with them. Give them a call. Send them a note. Let them know that you are continuing to remember them as part of this temple God is building of us together. Temple history also gives us another danger, another challenge about stones that are meant to be built together into God's temple. When the Israelites returned from Babylon, as described in the book of Daniel, when they first returned, they returned with a mandate, a mission to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and they were given, as we are, all the resources and supplies needed in order to do it. God said to them through Cyrus, God says to us, build my temple. And he gave them what they needed. But once they got to Jerusalem and they begin to step into that mission, they encountered opposition. There were others around them that were not excited about them building up the temple. And in the face of that opposition, their mission stalled. And the temple sat and waited And along the way, those building materials, stones and beams that were intended to be used to be gathered together into a temple, ended up scattering across the neighborhoods as people used those materials, those stones, to build individual homes. The prophet Haggai steps into this mix, and he calls God's people to return to their calling to take up again their mission, that they're going to find their fulfillment, their purpose, their their blessing in life is going to be in building God's temple. And there's some discouragement, but it doesn't seem like what I'd hoped it was going to be like. And yet he said, you build that temple, and my glory will come to this temple greater than it's ever been before. God says, you devote yourself to building up his temple, and no matter what it seems like to you, your contribution is, that's that's where his glory is going to be seen. God says, you get to building, because you have no idea what I'm going to do with it, what I'm going to do through you as a result. That's true in our lives. Why go to church? There's a bunch of other things pulling me. There's a bunch of other distractions. There's a bunch of other things I'd, I'd like to do, maybe things that need to get done, and those may be good things. And it may be that you also need to do some of them. But I can tell you this. Make the building of God's temple, which we are, make the building of God's temple your purpose and priority, and it will be there that you will see God's glory like you haven't seen it before beyond what you've expected. The reality is that life is busy. Many activities, priorities crowd in, clamor for attention. Families are busy with all kinds of activities. It's, it's hard to sort the best from the rest. And then 
COVID came and everything ground to a halt. And even as the church is taking time to look at what we are doing and why family, family have been doing the same thing, how can, we, how can we equip one another to go to others around us? How can we equip one another to be bringing others into God's family, to be building one another up as followers of Jesus? Well, we said two weeks ago, those key essentials, do you remember what they were? Biblical truth, obedient living, Christ-like serving. And one of the best ways to, to focus on that and encourage that and facilitate that is for the church to gather together in worship. Here we will gather in God's truth. Here we will reinforce one another. We will serve one another in God's troop, in his hope, in being mutually encouraged one to another as Paul described. Strengthened together by one another's faith as we gather together in worship. We have participated this morning in two things that have been considered essential since the, first, the church first began. One of those things was the Lord's table. To remember together in a tactile, tangible way our Lord's death for us until he comes. Do you know what the other one was? That even as they did from the very church when the, first was, when the church was founded, we have gathered together in worship. That has always been essential. At the hardest of times, when there was the most opposition to it, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build this temple. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we will gather together, as Paul describes. We will teach and sing. We will, we will be strengthened together in our shared faith together. This, this table that we shared is, is God's family table, and we will gather around that table, around the gospel, celebrating it together as God's family until our Lord Jesus returns for us. We will gather as our Lord has given us because it's here that he will strengthen us and build us up to be his temple for our calling, his mission in the world around us that needs it so desperately. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the calling that you have put upon us to be your temple together, to strengthen and build up and encourage one another, to be built up in the truth of your word, Father, to, to strengthen one another in our mutual faith, in our God and our Savior. Father, help us to do that. Not merely to come and to receive, but Lord, to come and to give. Out of our faith, out of our hope and confidence in you, that we, Father, would give to one another to build up this body of Christ, to build up this temple where we worship you together as one body. Father, help us. Give us the, the courage, the willingness, the, the glimpse of the value of it to, to step into that, caring for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.